Hey, listeners, you have seen that correctly. The spinoff show is back for a special, potentially one-off episode for a bit. On this episode, I have two returning guests. Uh, you may recognize the names. I have Shamasha Paul Yunan, who is a Syrian deacon and an avid Trump supporter. I also have on podcaster Jason Dutch, who is one of the co-hosts of Voice from the Underground, a pop culture and political uh, podcast that I've been on as well. And I have them both returning in light of the recent events in the Middle East. Um, this all originated because of us us being the U.S., killing General Soleimani of Iran. So I had reached out to Paul to get not only his opinion, but a brief history on what this all means for the Middle East, the, the build-up to this in the Middle East. And we decided we should do a podcast because I found it very interesting. I also decided to invite uh, Jason Dutch um, because I value his opinion on these things. Uh, we happen to be recording this on Tuesday, January 7th. As we were about to record this, a bunch of news came out that Iran had retaliated for that attack on killing General Soleimani by uh, firing missiles at U.S. air bases or U.S. military bases in Iraq. So we had that to discuss along with the history that Paul so graciously can provide in regards to the tensions in the Middle East and why this has bubbled over the way it has. So a lot to talk about on this podcast, a lot of live updates um, in regards to things that were coming out as we were talking about uh, general reaction and opinions on of what's going on. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. It's almost like two podcasts in one with the first part being the history of the situation and then the second part being uh, more opinionated reactions to uh, all the craziness that's going on between the U.S., Iran, and, and the Middle East in general. So, again, hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. This is the Jock Spinoff Show. Hey guys, we are back on a spinoff episode. Um, impromptu, sort of impromptu spinoff episode. I had plans to do another one, and then with all the news in the Middle East coming out, um, I decided there would be no better time to bring back two guests that I um, respect the opinion of. And then tonight being January 7th, um, Tuesday, January 7th, a lot of stuff has come out um, tonight in regards to the issue we were going to talk about. So, um, I not even I wouldn't even say perfect perfect timing isn't the word but we're here to discuss um, the Middle East and Iran U.S. all the uh, politics and stuff that's going on. I got on back on Shamasha Paul Yunan and Jason Dutch from Voice from the Underground. Um, how are you guys both doing? Hey, thanks, Tony. It's great to be back, and I'm doing well. How good, are you? Good. Yeah, thank you. Nope, I'm good. Doing good, brother. Hey, good. Paul. How's it going, man? Hey, we do Jason, know each other. That. They actually know each other. They they they've actually know each other and have been on podcasts together before as well. So this isn't uh, everyone's kind of familiar with one. Another, yeah, we were lucky nice. enough to get Paul on a few times to argue about politics. So he's uh, <laughs> he's he's a well he is well informed. Uh, Trump supporter. Trump supporter. <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't say lucky uh, in that in that same context. <laughs> no, we love having you on, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I respect both of your guys' opinions. So just for the listener, again, today being January 7th, originally this was going to be... Um, so 
if you guys don't know, it was General Soleimani, who's basically like the second in command out in, in Iraq, um, was a sa- uh, killed by the in U.S. Iran. In Iran. Or sorry, in Iran. He was killed by the U.S. in Iraq um, in retaliation to a general contractor dying and um, people storming the U.S. embassy. Um, so then once he was killed, obviously there was an escalation with Iran and U.S. The U.S., I immediately uh, hit up Paul to get his opinion on things, and he led me down a path of all the rocky history that's in the Middle East with the Sunnis and the Shia and uh, everything that's gone on down, out there. And it's a ton of history. So I figured that would be an interesting podcast and I wanted Jason on. Um, turns out tonight it comes out that the Iran has claimed to have fired and hit um, U.S. bases in Iraq, U.S. military bases in Iraq. So um, all the history stuff's going to kind of go out the window in terms of starting off with that because obviously... Um, this is all breaking news that we're just learning about right now. Um, I know Jason just said that he's literally in 30, 40 minutes off of being off work. So his opinion, um, is probably still being formed, but I'll, I'll start with Paul. Um, just instant reaction to all this stuff, this craziness that's going on. Well, um, God, how far do we want to go back? Uh, <laughs> as far well, as you want, man. <laughs> Well, a lot of people, um, a lot of people in America, look back at 1979 as the year when our 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 conflict with Iran began, and it's sort of uh, it's sort of been the flashpoint since um, our relationship with Iran. But or since this all began, everybody kind of looks at that as the as the beginning of our problems. But in reality. Our problems with Iran began when, after World War One, we defeated the Ottoman Empire, right? Correct. And in the Ottoman Empire, uh, we began to carve nation states out of the Ottoman Empire, and us Iran, and Britain, right? Not just uh, not just we, not just the United States. You know, this was something that was done by you know, yeah, the victorious allies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The French and British, British, and the United correct. States. Yep. Yeah. So Iran was never part of the Ottoman Empire, and the reason why is because Iran is a Shiite and the Ottoman Empire was a Sunni uh, empire. And so these two Islamic empires, and I use the word Islamic loosely because neither side, and I think it's very important for our listeners to to realize this or to know this fact, neither the Shiite consider the Sunnis to be real Muslims and the Sunnis certainly don't consider Shiite to be Muslims. Um, so they are... From 1,400 years ago, those two have been at each other's throats about who are, who is the real Islam. Correct. Uh, so, back to World War One, and we defeat the Ottoman Empire and begin carving out the nation-states uh, that we recognize today in the Middle East, and those being Iraq, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, Jordan, Lebanon, and those countries. Turkey is the heir to the... Uh, Ottoman Empire, so we kind of carved out a, a Turkish homeland for them there. But <clears throat> uh, fast forward a little bit to World War Two now, and and between World War One and World War Two, one of those. If, countries- if you don't mind, can I just drop something in there real quick? Oh sure, um, Paul. The I think it's also fair to mention that, um, and I don't recall the year that it terminated, uh, but around the same time, uh, the the Persian Empire, which was Iran, um, basically dissolved as well so you had the because they are more iran is more and correct me if i'm wrong here because you are more educated on middle eastern history than i am but 
uh, Iran is more Persian where, um, where Saudis and, you know, Iraq and, um, uh, you know, those countries are more, um, Arab. Is that accurate characterization? That is, that is absolutely true. Yes. And yeah, I think, Iranian- I think that's important too, because a lot of people that don't really know much about the Middle East just assume that it's all just one giant race of people when it's completely right. well, different it's, people it's, that speak different languages. It's similar to like being Russian or being British. I mean, you're right. You're, you have the same skin color. You know, you may have evolved from the, the same you might both subset. Be Christians. Right. You know, but you, but you're not a Russian is not American and American is not Russian. Right. You know, so it's the same thing. Right. And in fact, yeah, and in fact, the name Iran itself comes from uh, the Sanskrit word for um, Aryan, or it's 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 where the Aryan nation, if you remember from Nazi days. Mm-hmm. Um, so Iran, Iranians, uh, Iran is more um, Indo-European than it, it is Indo-European and not a Semitic race. Um, so that country has more. Uh, cultural, linguistic ties to the European nations than it does to the Semitic nations in, in the rest of the Middle East. So it, Iran itself just is, is Aryan. That's what it means, Aryan. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the, the, you know, after World War I, we partitioned out all these countries. One of those countries that we partitioned in World War I was called Palestine. That area, had, British had a mandate over uh, the Holy Land, and they called it Palestine. Fast forward to World War II, Hitler, speaking of Aryans, all right, Hitler and that whole story happened where uh, the Jews who were primarily living in, in Europe at the time uh, were subjected to a horrendous right, Holocaust, and we all know that story. Uh, when, when the allies of World War II defeated uh, Nazi Germany, they liberated uh, the survivors of the Holocaust and um, promised them a homeland in the Middle East. So what you have essentially at that point is after the Jews were subjected to mass genocide in Europe, uh, the European nations then took and shipped them off to, uh, to Palestine at the time, which was a British mandate uh, area. And, Hence, that is the birth of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict because, of course, Palestine at the time had Palestinians living there. And Palestinians are, in large part, Shiite, like Iran. And I'm I'm getting to my point with this. Sorry about the long... Oh, no problem. Uh, I think it's important to have the context. Yeah, so that was 1948, right? 1948, Israel was declared... Uh, as a homeland for the Jews, on top of Shamasha was about what eighteen then? Oh no, I was <laughs> thirty-five. <laughs> no, that was eighteen in World War One. Um, <laughs> Before so, all the Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so you know that is the the root of the conflict between the West and Iran is the foundation of the state of Israel in Palestinian territory, in Shiite, in heavily Shiite territory, right? Right. So, um, a little bit, a few years later, um, the rulers of Persia at the time, or Iran at the time, uh, his name was Mossadegh, um, this, he was uh, causing a lot of problems for the new newly formed Israeli state. 
in the 1950s. We went in in 1953, we, the United States and the, and the CIA, went in and overthrew Mossadegh, uh, the ruler of uh, the elected ruler of the uh, Iranian peoples, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we installed the, the Shah, the Shah of Iran, as a, as a puppet regime uh, who would toe the line for American interest in Iran, primarily right. being that he leave the, uh, the newly formed uh, uh, Jewish homeland in peace, right? Correct. Um, the Iranians put up with that only for so long, and they overthrew the Shah and his family. Uh, fl- he, and, he and his family fled to England. That was France, under uh, Humani, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So 19, 1979 rolls around, and the Islamic Revolution happens where um, they storm our embassy, they take the hostages, they overthrow the puppet Shah, and he flees the country. And now the Shiite Ayatollahs are in power, and that's been, um, since 1979 until now, we've been in a sort of cold war with Iran. Exactly, yeah. For, for the sake of primarily two, uh, two countries, and that is Saudi Arabia and Israel, both Correct. of whom um, are in the target hairs of the Iranians um, for various reasons. Right? And, and, and now it, more recently, I would add, correct me if I'm wrong, now almost more recently, the fight to keep Iraq and Syria in our best interests as well. Well, Syria, yeah, yeah Syria is, is more or less under the influence of of Iran. Correct. Um, you know, it's uh, one thing I would add on Iran, if I could, is the Iranian, um, d- during the time under Shah of Iran, um, the Iranian culture changed and, and it was, it was accepted by a lot of Iranians, but not by, but not by many. And what I mean by that is this, if the culture became very liberal, women were wearing bathing suits, you know, um, that it was, it was becoming a, a, a like the United States under Western influence, so to speak. And a lot of, uh, you know, there was a lot of progressive thought, not progressive by the definition of what we're looking at with like Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders, um, but progressive for its day, you know, um, it, for example, with that Abraham Lincoln would, was a progressive for his time, but in his time, if he were, if he were alive today, he'd be looked at as a right wing extremist because, you know, views change over time. So in, in Iran at the time, it started becoming more um, more liberal. Uh, it was it was a, definitely a democracy. It was, a, it was almost a true democracy, and a lot of the people within that culture accepted that and thought it was liberating, and great. And a lot of people within that culture thought it should be back under Islamic control, under theocratic control. We, we see the same thing today in the United States. You have um, you know a, a lot of people who want us to completely go the way of Bernie Sanders. And we have a lot of people who want us to go the way of Franklin Graham. And I, and you know, I did not say Donald Trump there because I look at him as, as a fake Christian, but the, you know, you have people who want to be back under, like they want the U S to be a Christian nation, you know, and you have others who are like, no, we should, you can be Christian. Great, but absolutely no religion in the government. And that fight took place in Iran during around this time. And I'm not sure if, Again, Paul's more of the expert here, but I think that's a fair characterization of what was happening at the time and led to um, the rise of Ayatollah Hamani um, and his his campaign that was obviously helped by outside influences as well. But um, but they overthrew that government at that point in time in 1979 um, and took control of the country uh, and then turned it more into a theocratic and theocratic basically means 
um, a religious-based state rather than a secular-based state. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that that's a very important point, uh, Jason. You know, they, there was a <clears throat> there was a lot of um, uh, fighting against what they consider to be toxic or a, a, a corrupting Western influence on their society, right? Um, which had traditionally been. Uh, you know, Iran or Persia has o- have always been um, like most of the peoples of those regions um, have always been very uh, uh, theocratic in 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 nature. Just the society itself has has never uh, embraced liberalism in that sense uh, right. of of cultural values or that type of thing. So um, it is a very uh, patristic society. It's a very um, uh, conservative society. Much more so than I think even um, we're accustomed to, and in, in segments of our population here. I would agree. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're talking about Old Testament uh, conserv- yeah. conser- conservatism, yeah. and it's um, and you know I, I'm critical of Islam a lot, and you know a lot of you can get in a lot of hot water for that. Uh, I'm not a fan of Christianity in its ecclesiastical interpretations. I'm not a fan of Islam in its in, it, in its um, surah related. Uh, interpretations so because a lot of that can be very problematic but one thing i will say is that in the west i think we have a misconception um about the shia versus sunni uh conflict yes there has always been this conflict there started back right after the death of muhammad um you know when there was a dispute between i believe it was his uncle and his nephew or his son and his nephew or something like that well yeah it was between the successors of if should it be someone that he that the people elect i believe or so or someone related to muhammad right and would there be uh imams which imam is like their word for a priest um or or would there not be and and you know that's besides the point for this but uh, by and large um during the reigns of the Persian and Ottoman Empire. So and then though these were very long reigns. Ottoman Empire reigned for a very, very long time. Um, but there but prior to nineteen seventy nine, um Islam, the states of Islam were not really at uh fighting with themselves. They they were very angry about Israel for, for obvious reasons. Um but for the most part, I think um it's it's mischaracterized that Sunnis and Shiites were just killing each other in the streets during you know the the early parts of the 20th century. You know, 1910 to whatever I'd say around 1979. Um, not it, it, and it's often equated to like what happened during the, the schism between Protestantism and, and Catholicism when there was horrendous murders. You know, and and, and genocidal acts that took place within Christendom um, that that led ultimately to the United States becoming a country because guess what? People fled that persecution and then decided that they were going to come here and persecute other people. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, that was one of the reasons why we have a country in the first place because of a lot of what was going on um, in, in England and some of the other European states. So uh, it's, that is a lot of people will say, you know, Sunnis and Shias have always killed each other. And that will, that is true probably possibly on a Mac on a micro level, but on a macro and from a macro sense, um, they maybe ideologically don't get along, but there was not quite as much turmoil as there was um, after 1979. It was mostly all, everyone was very narrowly focused on the fact that you had Israel, who was now this this big troublemaker, so to speak, uh, that, that was just placed there 
in the land that was given to them, and then they took that land back. And, Pla- and placed there by people that weren't from there. Right. and it, According it, to the, the people that are living there at the time. Yes, and it's akin to, you know, obviously, the, Isra- the Israelite people lived in that area in biblical times. There's not, there's not much dispute of that. There's, there's archaeological evidence to prove that this is the case. You know, but it'd be almost like um, we get we get into a revolution of some sort in the United States, and then they decide to give Arizona to all of the Native Americans. And you know, the people who live in Arizona who are white, they don't kick them out, but they have no rights there. So you know, and, and imagine Arizona being like the holiest place in your culture. Yes, which means it's have given one. to the, and it's given <laughs> into the other people. And I'm not sure they would want Arizona. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? But I don't consider it that holy, no. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's, you know, at Wrigley, like, let's say Chicago, and they put the shrine at Wrigley Field, right? You know, right, the most right. holy spot in the United States. But, um, you know, that's my perspective on it, at least. I, again, I'm, pretend, I'm not trying to speak for for Paul. And there's different historical records of, you know, people disagree with some things. but um, but But that's the way that I would equate it is to, you know, they were narrowly focused on Israel. For a time there, probably between the, f- the mid late 1940s and the Islamic Revolution, at which point in time you had uh, really, like Paul said, and he's characterized it great. And I actually hadn't even thought of that. It was a Cold War. You know, we had a Cold War between the United States and Russia that was very famous. This is a Cold War between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And it has been since that time because Iran, what they want to do basically is. Iran wants to upset the balance of all the countries in that region and make them theocracies. Saudis, because they just happened to take power and then discover they had oil there and then become became, of course, uh, magically an ally of the United States, um, which made Iran a de facto ally of the Russians, of course. But the uh, they want to basically keep the region stable. And the reason why they want to keep the region stable is because they're afraid that they're going to overthrow the the, the nineteen seventy nine will happen again. Yeah, theocracy yeah. will happen there, and there'll be a revolution there. So what they've done for a long time is they've used Iraq as sort of this buffer. Um, they use Saddam Hussein as a buffer, and tr- to keep sort of the 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 peace there. And when Iraq when, during the Iran Iraq War in the eighties, there was a lot of support from Saudi Arabia. Um, as Saddam Hussein was trying to invade Iran because he wanted their oil and also he wanted to, you know, he didn't share the same religious beliefs as most of the people in his country. So it was kind of a weird thing, but you know, he was trying to get some land gains there and, and, um, and, and sort of secularize Iran in a way. Um, but then he kind of got power hungry after he, he lost that war and that war became a bit of a stalemate. And then he decided, of course, to invade Kuwait because he's like, well, I can't take Iran's oil, so I'll take Kuwait's. And guess what? Kuwait was an ally of the United States, and then we have history. So, um, But there's a lot of uh, similarities between the taking down of Saddam Hussein and the taking down of this Iranian general, Salami. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Salami. We'll call him King Salami, uh, Salami Sandwich. Um, you know, <laughs> Soleimani, uh, I'll go yeah, Soleimani. So it's, there are some similarities. I think they jog around the same track here, uh, in, in some ways. So we can start debating the semantics of that at some point, but, um, I, I just wanted to kind of like 
that's my perspective, like my history on like what I've learned and what I've read over the years. And, um, you know, I'm remembering from college courses, that sort of stuff. Paul, does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I think Jason brings up a lot of your points. The one, the one thing, you know, um, I would add to that too, is the, the Shiites, um, to this day, they, they, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever seen the the festival that they have called Ashura, but it's their holiest uh, day. They're they're so far removed from mainstream or Sunni Islam that it's kind of humorous. But their the entire um, the entire practice of Shiite Islam is around the fact that Ali and Hussein were martyred, uh, who were of the family or the household of Muhammad, and um, it's this martyrdom of Ali and Hussein that really is central to their religion. And they blame the Sunnis for that, obviously, mm. because the Sunnis are the, uh, the, the people who um, killed the legitimate ruler or, or successor to Muhammad, which is always to be, you know, some, according to the Shiites, is always to be somebody from the household mm. of Muhammad. So you see them in the streets in... Iran and they're cutting themselves on the head with swords and they're cutting their baby baby uh, and their children uh, and their baby sons on the heads with swords and they're bleeding like profusely all over the place. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've seen footage of that. No, I, I don't think this, I want to watch that. This is yeah, this is something uh, where you know they're self mutilating, right? Um, this is something that uh, Saddam Hussein had brutally repressed uh, this celebration of Ashura. It's called. And um, it, it, Iraq being majority Shiite, uh, he was a Sunni strongman or ruler from the minority Sunni population in Iraq. But he really clamped down on the Shiites, and part of that clamping down was the repression of this, these types of religious celebrations by the Shiites. So you said Saddam was was a straw puppet uh, ruler? No, no, a strongman or I should. Oh yeah, say I was, okay. I thought you said straw yeah. uh, strawman ruler because I was say like, him and Gaddafi are like. To me, the, the the two textbook examples of strong men, you know, maybe along with Castro. Yeah, yeah. They're, all, they're no, also two textbook examples of the devil we know versus uh, yeah, what, yeah. What, what transpires after. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, so, yeah, for I mean, sure. I mean, they, and, and they were uh, very important in keeping the stability of that region because we right. see what happened after Saddam. Saddam Hussein was a piece of shit. You know, I, I, the guy was a murderous ravenous ass and you know greedy for oil that sort of thing but the point the 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 interesting thing is because europe came in like 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 paul said and, and they just decided the border is going to be here and this lake will be that looks like a good border so we'll use that border but of course they, they they set up these borders but they never enforced any black market weapon sales they, people just come in there and sell weapons to whoever you know the weapons dealers love selling guns into the middle east um which is one of the reasons why everyone's afraid of Iran having uh, nuclear weapons because they, they Iran just sells a lot of weapons. But uh, to not sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole. But the the point is is that Gaddafi and Saddam in that region were were strong were, were strong men who, ironically, things have been worse since they are gone. Right. You know. So absolutely, it's, it's a weird it's a weird uh, connection there. I think that's something, Paul. You'll, you'll, I'll have you continue a second. But I think that's something we'll we'll touch on later too. Is 
you know, it, the possible effects of an escalation and where that would lead to in Iran, you know, Iraq and Libya and all these other countries kind of have governments that were a little bit easy to push over. Um, Iran, in my opinion, doesn't. And the, the ramifications... Four of, times the size of Iraq's military. Right. And the ramifications of trying to do the same thing we did in Iraq to Iran is a path I don't know we want to go down. So again, Paul, go ahead continue where you were at. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was, you know, going back to that 1979 revolution. And ever since then, uh, what Iran has done, if, if you look at a map of the Middle East, right, uh, they, it, the main focus of Iranian policy has been to destroy the state of Israel. Their first, their first enemy, uh, the first ones that they want to get to are the state of Israel. After that, they want to get to Saudi Arabia, of course, and the other Shiite countries. But the fir- their first target is Israel, right? So if you look at a map of the Middle East and imagine uh, what the term is called in, in modern pol- political uh, arenas is the Shiite crescent. Correct. There, there is a, uh, a Shiite crescent that is forming or has formed since 1979 over the Middle East. And, and if you look at a map, you'll see Iran on the right side of that crescent. And it goes, that's the first Shiite country. The next Shiite country after um, the fall of Saddam Hussein and the rise of the Shiite government in, in Iraq is now Iraq. So that's you know inching closer to to Israel. Right? I- ironically, a government, a Shiite government that we 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 us we kind of teamed up with the Shiites to take out yeah, Saddam. Yeah, so yeah, inadvertently, really, inadvertently helped out the people but, we didn't want to help out. Apparently now. Right. Yeah, a big blunder. Yeah, we've Absolute, done that a few times yeah. in our history. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. more. Than, I, th- I think this is a this is a, a trend in U.S. history. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and then the next country over from Iraq is Syria, and that's controlled by the Shiite family of uh, Assad, right. right? President Assad, and then the next country over after that is Lebanon, and it's controlled by Hezbollah, uh, the Shiite um, political party and paramilitary group. And heavily financed by Iran, so we can we can have, call them we can call them what they are. They're a terrorist organization that turned into a political organization. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <clears throat> so since 1979, you've now uh, you've now got this land bridge forming from Iran to the borders of Israel, right? And, and I, I and, think to add into um, Palestinians that are fun Palestinian terrorist groups that are funded by Hamas. Iran as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. So you, you got Shiite influence there too. Another oh, yeah, another uh, another terrorist group that became a political group in Hamas. Uh, Hamas, shock, yep. sh- uh, astonishing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So their their goal is to develop nuclear weapons, and and there's no secret about Iranians' goals to develop nuclear weapons there. And now they have this land bridge or Shiite crescent, as we call it. Uh, forming all the way to the borders of Israel, and when they're done with their Israeli targets, they, they definitely want to go after the Sunnis, um, and that is spearheaded by, by, or that is headed by the Saudis. So that is what we've. If you go back into every conflict that the United States has been in since the 1950s, when we overthrew the Mossadegh government of Iran and installed a puppet Shah. Everything that we've done in, in our foreign policy in the Middle East has been for the benefit of our allies, Israel and Saudi Arabia. And you Those guys know you guys are, know puppets well. 
I'm Jack and Nerd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, we too. Exactly. So this is um, every conflict that you've seen in the past decade, right, in decades before this past decade, have been in this hot zone, right? You Correct. have Iraq, you have Syria, you have Lebanon. All of these are um, directly related to what we're talking about, this growing Shiite influence and land bridge to Israel. Um, there are other hot pockets here and there, like in Yemen, um, where there are sizable Shiite populations, and Iran funds them and arms them to really cause a lot of anarchy and chaos uh, and keep the, the Sunnis busy um, fighting them. But primarily their goal is to get to Israel. And so this is why you'll see Benjamin Netanyahu on the UN stage every few weeks or a few months with his drawings of the bomb and Iran, Iran, Iran. This has um, been what's unfolding tonight has been in the works for a long, long time with certain power um, power players in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. uh, certain warmongers who've been wanting this war for decades, uh, not just the past few years. but yeah, Like John Bolton. Yeah, I mean, decades. Since the 1979 revolution, the Israelis and the Saudis have have been prodding the United States to take care of this Iranian problem for, for them. For different and reasons. For different reasons. And so, um, with yeah, with the Saudis, it's primarily religious. With the Israelis, it's literally a life and death situation. If it's religious Iran there as well. It, 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 yeah, but they're looking at a, a dirty bomb or a nuclear bomb going off in Tel Aviv, sure, sure. potentially, right? So, um, and Iran, and believe me when I say Iran and the Shiites in general, they're very apocalyptic uh, among the two schools of Islam. That's true. Uh, the Shiites are the more apocalyptic side and they would have no qualm about sneaking in a, a, a dirty bomb or a full-blown nuclear weapon and detonating it in the middle of Tel Aviv and thinking they're doing Allah's work, right? So this is what, we, um, this is what we're facing tonight uh, with this attack. Uh, is just the latest in a series of things from the 1950s from 19, really, from 1948, the foundation of, of the state of Israel, that we've been in, in, in enmity with the Iranian people, with the Shiite group. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that gives a little bit of insight. Um, from my perspective, this is kind of something that we unfortunately uh, have become too familiar with as minorities in the Middle East. Um, th- this, this battle between these two behemoths, which are the Sunnis and the Shiites. I think it's important to, and you've told me this, Paul, um, but I think it's important to note that a lot of people think that it's just these two peoples in the Middle East, when actually the Middle East, for a good time, long time, even currently, but at a smaller um, population, was very mixed, very mixed culture. Different different religions, different kind of people, not all the same, not all Arabs, not all just Muslims. So um, a lot of the, the wake of this these proxy wars has been a lot of these people getting eliminated. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you have people like <clears throat> like us who are Assyrians and um, a pre a pre Islamic pre Arab uh, civilization there, kind of like the Native Americans here. Um, you have a lot of other groups like us too uh, in the Middle East, um, but primarily, even those peoples ha- they've been conquered and have either melted into the Sunni side or the Persian side, and um, 
that, that's where we find ourselves today. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's a it's a powder keg ready to go off at any moment, and it only becomes worse if Iran really does realize its goal of obtaining nuclear weapons and using them against um, what it considers to be its biggest enemy, which is the Zionist, uh, what they call the Zionist uh, uh, invader. Mm-hmm. And after that, uh, their longest standing enemy, which is Sunni Islam. So we're at, we're at this point. Let's get just some reactions to just not only what happened today, but what happened last week with the, the killing of the general and even the b- events before that, you know, with the contractor being killed and the storming right. of the U.S. Embassy, you know, um, Jason. Well, um, I, just one last yeah, go ahead. interesting touch point on, on, on the mid- you know, the Middle East demographic. Um, and this is just a weird thing. Um, you would think, <clears throat> excuse me, you would think that being the more apocalyptic of the two sects of Islam, well, there's more than two sects of Islam. There's some other uh, more mystic sects as well, but the, but the two main branches of Islam, um, you would think that the apocalyptic one in Iran would be the more conservative Interestingly enough, women uh, have far less rights in Saudi Arabia than they do in in uh, Iran, because and I think that goes back to like you know when they had the Shavarin in place or Shavaran in place, you know because a lot of those a lot of people were slightly more liberal than where in, in Saudi Arabia, um, you know, you uh, pretty much all the time you have to you know women have to wear burqas and. Um, uh, uh, hijabs and things like that. So, just a interesting, uh, not really a dichotomy there, but an interesting. Um, it's not really the way that you might think that it would be if you were if you were to ask which you think would be more likely, at least in my opinion. But um, actually, before you get into just another interesting tidbit here, just to make this more confusing, uh, and thanks to Paul and some of the research I did, um, ISIS, who was a big. Uh, Big uh, enemy of ours for the the long you know last four years and something yeah. someone that was yeah. propped up as the most evil thing ever was actually a um, Sunni Muslim group Sunni extremist Muslim group and Iran was helping us defeat them so yeah, including it, it, including the general that we killed yeah both well, he of them. was a masterful he was a masterful ISIS killer yeah, yeah so, was, just to make was, this more confusing yeah <laughs> he was a masterful yeah. killer of a lot of people I mean let, let's first of all this. Um, so again, Salami. I can't pronounce his name. Soleimani. Soleimani. He he was not a good guy. Okay, so a lot of these people are are propping him up as a hero. And you know, I did read an article uh, a couple days ago about him because I mean, like most people, I didn't really know too much about him. Neither did Trump, for that matter. In fact, I have a funny clip I'll play for you in a second. Um, but um, but the the point of the matter is is that both the neither the Saudis nor Iran were huge fans of ISIS. Both of them were helping us to eliminate ISIS. So, you know, we we as the United States have had a lot of help with eradicating ISIS, and they're not defeated yet. I think that uh, Trump pulling out of the Iran deal almost helped reboot ISIS to a degree. Um, call it ISIS 2.0. But uh, but they uh, he this this general was instrumental and in, and in, and. In, violent in taking care of ISIS. So, you know, not to make tears for those guys, but again, kind of remember the, the leaders of ISIS are extraordinarily bad people, but 
oftentimes, just like with white supremacist groups and just like with street gangs, a lot of the members are like 14 year old kids who are just being told to do what they're doing. And they're being, you know, so it's like, I, I do sympathize with, you know, fighters maybe. Yes. To a, de- to, to a degree, you know, right. there are people who go out of their way and travel to fight with ISIS because they believe in that ideology. And then there are others and it's simply, you know, things, same thing happens in, in, in West Africa, you know, with a lot of these, uh, with these militant groups, like, especially in like Nigeria and Somalia, the kids are just a victim of it. And, and I think that's the main thing. And I know Shmash Paul and I are going to disagree on a lot of shit in this podcast. Um, one thing we will not disagree on, I can tell you, is that the victims here, especially in places like Yemen, are always the people. You know, the, it's the citizens, the people living in these countries uh, who are the ones who are really suffering. And that's the real set. You have way more civilian casualties then you have military casualties all the time. Yeah, and and I think it's important to know too that the civil the, the average people in the Middle East they're not theologians, you know, they're not um, uh, they they're not well versed in the specific differences between you know the school of thought of uh, the the Shiite camps versus the Sunni camps and what the difference theologically is between a Wahhabi from Saudi Arabia or a, um, or a, a member of uh, Hezbollah on the Shiite side. So they're, they're, they're really confused. Uh, a lot of them are really confused as to this enmity between the two. You know how, how I had mentioned, I, I think up to this point we've been talking primarily about Shiite Islam and its number one target being uh, what, they, what they term the Zionist state or the, the, the Jewish state. Uh, likewise, on the hot-headed side of the Sunnis or the extremists of the Sunnis, uh, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, these, these types of groups are all Sunni. Um, their number one target is Shiite Islam and not Israel. And that, that's interesting to know too because uh, they consider, the, the Sunnis consider Shiite Islam, Shiites uh, to be such a, a degradation or such a... Um, a bastardization almost. Yeah. Yeah. Such a blasphemy to Islam that they don't even consider They consider them to be worse than pagans. It, it, it's funny because the, the dynamics in the Middle East and in these, these groups are such that uh, a Shiite will gladly give his, his uh, daughter in, in the hand of marriage uh, to a Christian or a Jew uh, over a Shiite and uh, or over a Sunni. And likewise, the Sunni would gladly give his daughter in, in hand in marriage to a Christian or a Jew over a Shiite. It, it is that type of enmity, it is, it is that type of historical hatred between these two camps that um, not many people know about. There, there is a deep, deep hatred. And while Shiite Islam and Iran have their most immediate target or their bullseye on the most immediate target, which is Israel, the, the Sunnis, conversely, their biggest threat or their biggest hated enemy is Shiite Islam. And what they see is this growing influence of Iran because they, they don't want their, they don't want to, uh, they don't want the Shiite school to out, outgrow the Sunni school and eventually take over the Islamic holy sites in, uh, in Mecca and Medina and so forth. So, which are both in Saudi Arabia, by the which way. Which are both in Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia, believe it or not, has its own sizable Shiite 
population, especially in the eastern province of Saudi Arabia that's closer to Iran they ha- and, and closer to the southern uh, border with Iraq, uh, or Iraq's southern border, I should say. So there's, there's, there's an inside Shia population within, Saudi, within the kingdom of Saudi Arabia that they're always uh, persecuting as well. Like Saddam Hussein persecuted the Shiites in, in the south of Iraq, so does the Saudis persecute their own Shiite communities in their eastern frontier. And so there's a lot of dynamic here, um, but really for our listener, I don't want you to be too confused about all these dynamics in play. Just know that Shiite and Islam are like Catholic and Protestant, but a lot, lot worse, and for a lot longer. Right? It's been 1,400 years. It's literally been, this has been going on, this enmity is, between these two camps has been going on since the day Muhammad died, and they had to choose a successor to Muhammad. And it's not, it's not been let up. Have there been periods of relative peace? Sure. There's always been that tension simmering between these two groups, though. And what we're seeing today is um, is a struggle between Shiite and Sunni, as well as a struggle between Shiite and Israel. And the United States is being pulled in because our two biggest allies in that region are Israel and Saudi Arabia. And not just Saudi Arabia. I keep saying Saudi Arabia, but in reality, it's you know, all the other Sunni nations as well, Turkey, the United Arab Emirates, but Bahrain. mostly Saudi Arabia, because guess what? Egypt, they sell us yeah. oil for a cheap price. That, let, let's let's call a spade a spade. Well, it is, it, and and I think uh, Tony and I were were. I mean, Tony, I think you and I were discussing this on, on chat before, but yeah, there's there's a whole other story about Saudi Arabia that we can get into if we have the time tonight. But um, it, it's really its own, it's really its own topic. But going back to, you know, a, as a summary, going back to what I was talking about after the First World War, and we carved up the Ottoman Empire. Arabia was part of the Ottoman Empire, of course, as well as pretty much all of North Africa, right? Um, Arabia, at the time, was just called Arabia. Uh, It got the name Saudi because, and by the way, here's an interesting um, trivia uh, tidbit. Saudi Arabia is the only country in the world today that is named after a family. It's literally named after a family, the Saud family. And there's an interesting story behind the Saud family. The, the Sauds were, like many other clans at the time uh, during World War I, uh, were bandits. Basically, they were, they, they were a, a strong clan of, of families that were highway bandits. And the British made use of them. They were very powerful, and they were um, known as ferocious fighters. The British made use of the Saud family to defeat the Ottomans from within the empire. As their reward, uh, they were given uh, a monarchy in Arabia. They were promised that their family would be beyond, you know, of course, oil was discovered by that time. And that's part of the reason why we went to dissolve them. Well, I believe the oil was discovered after they took power. Um, they, that's what's commonly thought but the uh, the already industrialized west had already known about the it literally the oil literally oozed oozes to this day from the sands of saudi arabia uh, it's just that it, yeah it's just that the, the secret Arabians, of the ooze yeah <laughs> it's it's literally that the, it, it, it's it's the arabians didn't know about it but the allies in world war one did and 
part of what prompted them to go after uh, mm. the Ottoman Empire and, and conquer it. But anyway, the Saud family was rewarded for their um, assistance with dissolving the Ottoman Empire by becoming or by, by being instilled as the monarchs of Saudi Arabia or of, of Arabia, and hence it became Saudi Arabia. Um, this is this is strange because in the Middle East we don't have monarchies. Uh, monarchies are a uh, are a Western or European thing. In the Middle East, what we have is among the Islamic nations. There is uh, uh, in the Sunnis you have the concept of a caliph, uh, the caliphate, and the Ottoman Empire had the caliph was uh, the 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 lead or the think of the caliph as a, the type of pope. It's like the pope of Sunni Islam, like how the pope is to Catholicism. That's how the caliph is to Sunni Islam. At the right. time, the caliph at the uh, Ottoman Empire, he resided in Istanbul. And we defeated the Ottoman Empire, of course. He was the last caliph uh, of Sunni Islam. Uh, until al-Baghdadi of ISIS recently proclaimed himself to be the caliph. But that's another story, too. Anyway, the monarchy of the Saudis that was instilled by the British was quite foreign in concept. In the Middle East, we don't have kings and queens, right? So they were the Saudis were given reign over this and installed as I, I hate to use this term again because I've used it several times in this broadcast, but they were the puppets of the British and the Americans at the time, uh, the victorious allies of World War One, and they were installed to rule that area and subjugate the people and do our bidding, primarily in the exploration of uh, their natural resources and siphoning that offering and, and keeping that flowing. And so uh, the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia is one of master and puppet, or one of master and slave, where it's, it's the exact opposite of how many, perhaps many Americans would view the relationship. It's not the Saudis that control us. It's quite the opposite. We control the Saudis. The Saudi royal family, quote-unquote royal family, are our puppets, and they are, hate, they are hated by the people. The common people of Saudi Arabia hate that monarchy. And the reason why they hate that monarchy is like, like uh, the Iranians hated the Shah because they recognized that he was a Western puppet and was in, installed in his position to repress the people and to uh, toe the line for American interests and Western interests. Likewise, the Saudi people themselves know that the monarchy is illegitimate. It was kind of a fake monarchy that was created by the British out of this bandit family in the desert called the Sauds. And that's why you have 19 of the hijackers in 9-11 were Saudi Arabians. It's, it's, it's funny. It's, it's a funny relationship in that people think of Saudi Arabia as our allies. They're really not. The Saudi Arabian monarchy are our allies. And that's because they rule because we allow them to rule and we sell them weapons and we sell them airplanes and military equipment. But the people of Saudi Arabia hate their, their monarchy and they hate the United States um, as much as the Iranians do. And, and so there's that dynamic too. Um, so in a sense, if you look at it at a high level, Iranians in 1979 overthrew their American warlords for lack of a better term, right? Uh, and it's still their their preferred uh, uh, form of government. 
in this Islamic theocracy or Shiite theocracy. The Saudi Arabians never uh, um, did that. They haven't yet overthrown their American warlords. And Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda made frequent mention of this. In fact, if you go through his writings and Al-Qaeda's uh, uh, magazines and so forth, there are a lot of English uh, uh, versions of, or English translations of, of the Al-Qaeda writings. Al-Qaeda's primary purpose was to get rid of the Saudi monarchy. Uh, they they viewed them as, as illegitimate rulers over the Hejaz, or that the Hejaz is the name of the, the area where uh, Mecca and Medina uh, is. The, the Holy Land of Islam uh, is called the Hejaz. And so Osama bin Laden's primary target was the Saudi monarchy, and that's why they fought him so hard. Um, and his second target was the United States for instilling that and perpetuating that monarchy, allowing them to continue to exist with our support for uh, for them in military and financial ways. So, um, lots of lots of things to consider here in this talk or this this broadcast, but. Um, these two worlds, Shiite and Sunni, are there's many moving facets to it. It's very um, dynamic, and if you know the history behind all of these things, that a lot of these nations are just barely a hundred years old, and really creations of the West, um, it, it becomes uh, it, it, headlines start to make a lot more sense when you consider this this traditional enmity between Shiite and Sunni. And when you consider what role the West had to play in creation of these um, nation states after the, after the conquest of the Ottoman Empire, this is all really very helpful in terms of the context of the situation. Um, so, I much appreciated, uh, Shamasha Paul. Um, let's yeah, let's get to the modern stuff. So, as of today, the yeah, that was cool stuff though. That, no, that was awesome. That that was exactly why I wanted to. That was that's what actually prompted me to be like, Paul, we need to do a podcast. Yeah, I didn't um, even I didn't know that's that story about the 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 South. I had yeah, no, it was no, really I, I knew interesting. That, I knew that they that there was a family of warlords that took over the country. I didn't know that that, that yeah, and then I heard they discovered oil. So you know, I had like I said, I had heard a slightly different uh, historical context to that. So. Yeah, it's um, it's not very well known here, but I would uh, recommend. Uh, in fact, I can send you a link, um, and and maybe we can post it on the on the uh, on the broadcast twenty four for our yeah, listeners. Yeah. Um, but there's a, an excellent documentary. It's it's writ it's it's on YouTube. It's about an hour long video, and it's written from the um, from the perspective of a of a radical Islamist uh, Sunni uh, viewpoint. But it it really well. Uh, it, really documents well the history behind Saudi Arabia or what we, what we call Arabia, but quote unquote Saudi Arabia and how that, how that all came out to be. Yeah, I actually um, have it here. It's uh, it was in, it's called Saudi Arabia servant and master and then colonialism. Yeah. And I think, I think they call it Saudi America. Don't Saudi they, America. It? Yes. Correct. Correct. Saudi yeah. America. Yeah. And I did, I did watch it in preparation for the show. Oh, great. So, so you saw, <laughs> You saw there, um, and again, it, it's written from an almost Al-Qaeda or ISIS type of uh, uh, viewpoint. But in being a Christian, I found it hard to listen to uh, that because, you know, I, 
I find anything ISIS um, re repulsive. But um, it, I can't argue with the facts there because it's just something that being my family being from the general region there, it's well known there, but it's not so well known here. Um, and I think if more um, if more people in the West watch that, it really opens your eyes to the history behind some of these nation states, especially especially Saudi Arabia and, of course, later Israel. And again, it would shock most people to know that these countries that are as ancient as the sands they're on, right? Uh, but in reality, these, these countries are much younger than the United States even, um, only born in the last century or so. Right. Absolutely. Um, so Jason, we'll go, we'll get back to you and Paul, if you want to jump in now that we're kind of getting, getting into, into more, the yeah, yeah no, more or less, not even, I want to say it's Our, a debate. I, I apologize because I said, let me just say one thing for one minute and it <laughs> turned into 18, 19 minutes. So my bad. Yeah, well, that, that's <laughs> no, no, powerful. I'm, that's, I'm far worse there. That's par for the course. I think having have had both of you on, that's par for the course. I wasn't expecting anything less. <laughs> um, so, General Salami, as you like to call him, or Suleimani, um, thoughts on him, thoughts on him getting killed, I guess even putting into context, because a lot of the left will bring this up, thoughts on the fact that Trump was berating Obama for uh, oh my God. starting yeah, a war in Iran and now and, potentially and has. He sent four, He sent five tweets over four years, uh, Trump, and you know Obama wants to get reelected. So he'll start a war with Iran basically was the context of those tweets over the course of, you know, a, a number of years because Obama was or, or Trump was just vehemently anti Obama. Some some of which is warranted. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not an Obama apologist. I think Obama was a good president. I by no means uh, am pining to have him his likeness carved onto Mount Rushmore. Um, But the the funny thing is, is that's exactly what he's doing now. He's in the middle of an impeachment. This is complete wag the dog. I mean, it, it is absolutely astonishing to me. And Soleimani, you know, he, he, he goes on TV. He talks about what, how under my command, we have eliminated the number one terrorist in the world. Okay. I mean, he actually called him the number one terrorist in the world. Now, again, Soleimani Salami is not a good guy, right? Th this guy, was a, a vicious killer. He killed, um, you know, I would say pretty, I, I don't know the guy, but I would say that it's probably a safe bet that he did a lot of what he did with little remorse, if any. Um, the problem here is number one and number two. Well, first of all, I, I want to play this short clip for you. So this is right before Trump was elected. He was asked by Hugh Hewitt, a conservative, ultra conservative, actually, um, guy in the media about his thoughts on Soleimani. And this is the guy who's the president of the United States. Now, and put this in context. Remember that when um, Gary Johnson went on MSNBC and was asked about his thoughts on Aleppo, and he didn't know what Aleppo was because he thought it was an acronym, but they were talking about the capital of Syria. They lambasted him. The, the, listen to this. This is very short, but just take a listen. <laughs> Are you familiar with General Soleimani? Yes. I, I, go ahead. Give me a little. Go ahead. Tell me. He runs the Quds forces. Yes. Okay. Right. Do, do you expect? And I think the Kurds, by the way, have been 
horribly mistreated by us. No, no not the Kurds. The, the, the Kurds forces, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Kurds yes. forces, the bad yes. guys. Right. Do you expect his behavior to change well, as a result? Kurds. Kurds. No. Kurds. Oh, I, I'm Kurds. sorry. I thought you said yeah. Kurds. Because yeah. I think the Kurds have been very poorly treated by us. You. Go ahead. Agreed. Okay. I, I, I realize I might have been a little loud. Imran will have to... <laughs> Imran will have to, t- to He'll have to level that out, tr- level it out a little. But he's obviously lying, right? He has no. And, and you know what? He didn't know who he was. Just say, you know what? Fuck it. I don't know who the guy is. Um, you know, I've never heard of this this particular general before. And very few people would have had too much to say about it. They would have said okay because they would have voted for him anyway, right? Based on his platform. But the point of the matter becomes, he sits there for years. Patronizing Obama, at, oh, a lot of which was over where he was born because he didn't believe he was born in the United States. And now he's the one doing exactly what uh, he, he thought Obama was going to do, number one. Number two, okay, this guy who had no idea who Soleimani slash Salami was is going on TV and saying that he's the number one terrorist in the world. Which there's no evidence of that. Now, here's where things get dicey. So we took the guy out, right? <clears throat> and there's a big debate going on right now about whether or not this was justified. Um, I, I'm torn on that part because our troops were there under constitutional authority, right? We occupy space in Iraq under constitutional authority. We do have the right to defend ourselves. <clears throat> Trump took this guy out, and he's supposed to show evidence that there was an imminent threat. They have shown none. Well, okay? there's there's two things. It's that are that's the kind of the question here is there's the imminent threat that you had mentioned that he has evidence that he he was going to do something to us. Mm-hmm. There's also the the thing that they have touted, which is that they attacked first. Right? Is the, this they this shot contract- down a, they shot down a freaking drone? Right. We attacked them back. Right. And then. Um, and then they kill a uh, contractor. Correct. Right. And then we kill twenty-seven fucking people. Correct. What do you, and, and then they do? And then he starts. Uh, this guy is uh, a big factor in there being a riot at the embassy right. in Iraq, if I recall correctly. Correct. Yes. And no one died. Okay, but. Then we decide, okay, we're going to take this guy out. Right. I mean, the, uh, here's the thing. None of this would be <laughs> Paul, happening. Paul's raising his hand, I, by I, the way. I see him, and he can talk <laughs> in one second. None of this would have happened. This all started when he, when Trump withdrew us from the Iran deal. He's so egotistical about ending everything Obama. I'm surprised he hasn't resurrected Saddam Hussein so he could reassassinate him. You know, it, it's... He he wanted to end the Iran deal, which was every single country except Israel and Saudi Arabia. Shocker. Those two. Every single country was in support of the Iran deal, at least to a degree. Now, it wasn't a perfect deal. There's a lot of human rights things that could have been in, included in the Iran deal. But it was an effort to denuclearize Iran. Even Pompeo said that they hadn't violated the agreement. Trump ended it because he fucking felt like it. Because he didn't, because it was under Obama, and it wasn't even Obama. It was Germany. It was Russia. It was China. It was the EU, right? Um, 
and he just didn't like the deal. Again, not a perfect deal. Nothing was, it wasn't perfect. Israel said, oh, there was still a pathway to a bomb there. Netanyahu said that. Of course he says that. Of course he does, because he's afraid of Iran. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be. But if he hadn't gone back and unwound the Iran deal in the first place, they were complying based on all the evidence that we have with 99%, if not 100% of the deal. And then, like I said, after this riot, they killed this guy, but there was no one killed at the, at the riot. So then now the thing is, and you know what? I, we were going to talk about this before today. And I was going to say that after they killed this guy, obviously they've made him a martyr now. And he's probably become way more popular uh, post-mortem than he was before. Now our troops are even in more danger, I was going to say. I was going to say that. I was going to say there's going to be something that's going to happen. There, It's hard to attack uh, uh, Americans in America. It's fucking easy to attack them in Iraq. And there's a lot of Americans there. There's a lot of contractors there. There's a lot of contractors in Saudi Arabia. There's a lot of contractors in Kuwait. There's a lot of contractors all across the Middle East. A lot of military personnel, a lot of government personnel. There's people who work at the embassies. These people are in intense danger. And there's only one person you can blame for it. And it's wagging the freaking dog because he doesn't want to wants to draw away attention from his freaking impeachment. It's disgusting. It is absolutely absurd. And it and frankly, it's an indefensible position. Paul? <laughs> what what actually but Paul, before you before you say that there are two things that just came out while uh Jason was uh monologuing just during uh, that oh my God. <laughs> see the news cycle so fast there is so there's two things that came out uh one being um the initial assessment of the iranian missiles that struck the al-assad base so there's two bases that have been hit were not was not populated by americans um and then also trump has said that he will have a statement tomorrow morning which is january 8th he has tweeted, all is well. Missiles launched from Iran at two military bases located in Iraq. Assessment of casualties and damages taking place now. So far, so good. We have the most powerful and well-equipped military anywhere in the world by far. I will be making a statement tomorrow morning. So with that, Paul. It sounds like he's talking. He's he's a rapper talking about his cock. <laughs> You're not you know, Paul, Jason. Unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Paul, go ahead. Hey, so... um. Just, uh, I hate to go back to history here, but <laughs> if we're, so, and, and, and when we're talking about General Soleimani, um, Trump may not have known about him, and most people may not have known about him, but I knew about him for 40, four decades now, and the reason why is... Then maybe you should be president, of, and not yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but I, I, I know I can count on your vote if I do run, Jason. Um <laughs> It's possible. <laughs> the um, <clears throat> the reason why I know about him is he was one of the primary reasons for the rise of Hezbollah in the Lebanese uh, theater of civil war at the time that my parents fled Lebanon. Gotcha. So Hezbollah and the Lebanese civil war, again, we're talking about uh, since the 1950s, the building of this land bridge, right, the Shiite land bridge, all the way to the shores of Israel. Lebanon was the final stop there, and that's why the Lebanese Civil War happened. And the Lebanese Civil War was between various Christian uh, and Sunni and uh, Shiite factions all fighting amongst each other. 
It was a brutal, disastrous civil war. It's what caused my parents to finally, and my grandparents to finally flee the Middle East and come here to America. So the reason why we are here today is in large part because of General uh, Qassem Soleimani and his activities in the Lebanon region at the time, in the Lebanon theater. Um, it's his, his, and I'm old, so his actions, uh, his, his activities for uh, warfare and terrorism go back that far, four decades um, at least. And so it, there's a reason why he is second. He was second in command in Iran, and that's because he truly is like their Rambo. He was not only a Sunni killer, but he has been in instrumental in creating this Sunni, uh, 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 or I'm sorry, the Shiite, Shiite crescent. crescent. Yep. Yeah. He's so, basically been their lead yeah. proxy war fighter. Exactly. Exactly. Out, so, out aboard so, abroad yeah. from Iran. Yeah. Yeah. So w- when people talk about well. I got a lot of questions on social media recently about, well, how many Americans exactly has he killed? It's hard to say. Uh, he's had a very long career. Um, how many deaths of Americans and others uh, are directly attributable to him? I would venture to guess over the past four decades or so, including the bombing of the barracks in Beirut, um, of the Marine barracks in Beirut and so forth, and a lot of uh, bombing of, of sailors, ships, and in, the, in our Navy and that type of thing, um, I would be surprised if his body count of Americans is uh, is, is not hundreds, if not thousands. Um, so, and again, um, it's hard to say because he does so much of what he he did, so much of what he did by way of proxy. And by proxy, I mean Hezbollah right. and um, it was all Assad done by proxy. And, They've, those two countries have never declared war on each other. Yeah, yeah. When I and, and I'm so, talking about Saudi Arabia and Iran. Yeah, and so I, he's got a quite a large body count, and that's probably never going to be um, validated. But he uh, he does, and I mean every time a um, every time an IED exploded and it took out a, a soldier's leg or life uh, in Iraq, um, somehow, some way, it it may have uh, come ultimately back to his Quds force or other. Um, then show the Actually. evidence. Then show the evidence of. Oh, see, here's the thing, and I, and I, I mean, all, all those Shiite rulers in south of, of Iraq, uh, uh, Jason. All those guys. Uh, remember when you know back in a few years ago we were having so much problem with the Shiite militias in in the south of Iraq. Um, they're all under his command. Right, but and there's there's Shiite militias. There's Shiite militias that are that are called terrorists by you know the. By, by one side, like, you know, the Turks call the Kurds terrorists. The Kurds call the Turks terrorists. You know, you have, it's, it's all, the, the Iranian Revolutionary uh, Guard um, designated a lot of groups as terrorists, but guess what? They were actually designated terrorists by us, which, again, there's no, there, there's really no particular evidence for it. Now, again, I'm, that's not saying that the guy's a good guy. I don't want him to come over for dinner. But we have to operate under constitutional law. Right, there are things called war crimes. I am completely empathetic to the situation that your um, grandpa or your parents and grandparents went through. Absolutely, and I'm sure this guy is a shithead. And you know what? The world may be better off that he's gone. But you know what? Someone else is going to pop up in his place. He hasn't affected the movement. Okay, yeah. number one. Number two, you you have to you, you the, 
they say that there's a, an imminent threat, but Pompeo has not said what it was because there isn't one. This is all about, I'm telling you right now, it's all about them trying to deflect from impeachment. Why do I say that? Because, yes, like you said, a lot of people are dead. The body count's very high. But there's two things that you have to look at here. Number one, they, your, people ask you, how many Americans did he kill? Amer- people don't care when someone with a Muslim name dies. But if Joe Smith dies, for Christ's sake, then the, you know, all of America goes crazy. There's a lot of people dying across the world that happen to have different color skin and, and weird, funny names. And nobody cares in this country about it. I've said a lot of times that a thousand people could die today in Haiti in an earthquake, and then Miley Cyrus dies an hour later in a car accident. We completely forget about Haiti, and we're all talking about one person. We're narrow-minded Americans. This is just the way. It doesn't make us bad. It just makes us narrow-minded. But you've got all types of stuff. I'm sorry. I don't mean to step on you, but you've got all types of people across the country who Trump breaks bread with who are known killers. Been... um, Bin Salam in Saudi Arabia had a journalist, Jamal Khashoggi, fucking cut into pieces. But that's okay because you sell us oil cheap. Kim Jong-un blows up people who don't agree with him with anti-aircraft missiles. But he wrote me beautiful letters and we fell in love. 14 of the 19 hijackers on 9-11 were Saudis. Did we strike back at Saudi Arabia? No, we didn't because we're freaking corrupt. We're hypocrites. And it's about there, the oil money. There are puppets. There are puppets. So that's why. So why now? Why are, not, Why this guy? Why now? It's well, deflection. Yeah. And, Paul, and, and so, so the, the. Paul, real quick, just so, so I want to kind of tee you up a little bit too. Yeah. Um, and you can definitely get into your points. Um. I guess the we know where Jason stands. Obviously, yeah, I'm a little on, on, riled on, up here. Okay, <laughs> and, and we know where he stands as far as the timing of this. So the the questions I have for you, and you can get to your points as well. You can address Jason's points are because I, I thought I found it interesting. You had mentioned that the re, one of the big reasons you supported Trump was the fact that he was very reserved in terms of the, the Middle East and um, getting involved in all this stuff. And obviously, now he's getting involved. So the, the two questions would be um, why now. Why now? What are your thoughts? And was this the right was this the right timing in terms of getting rid of this general? So I think you know, going back to Jason's point about terrorists, you know, definitely one man's you know the the old adage goes that one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, right? Correct. And this guy in particular is it wasn't a terrorist in the classical sense that we can we we think of terrorists where you know they're flying into buildings or they're um, targeting civilian populations or that type of thing. Although civilians have died under um, actions that General Soleimani had, um, Without question. had had been yeah had been you know uh, in charge of, but it wasn't his intent. Um, primarily, when when we're considering somebody like him to be a terrorist, uh, it's be it's because they do. He's been the primary architect of the Shiite Crescent, and the purpose of the Shiite Crescent is to instill terrorism into our allies. And so that's why he is designated as a terrorist. The, the, the purpose of them, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, let, me, let me just see if I can get you to backtrack on that a bit. The purpose of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard is overwhelmingly clear. They want to incite revolution 
revolution and terror are not necessarily the same thing. No, I, I think if you go back to, if you actually read um, the, the uh, intelligence agency's assessments of his activities in the past four, dec- four to five decades in building this, this Shiite Crescent land bridge, he's instrumental in building this land bridge from Tehran to Beirut in the past four or five decades, and the entire the, the, the stated purpose of this Shiite Crescent is to have a land bridge uh, to the shores, to the borders of Israel. Their, their intention is to deliver a nuclear weapon by a land bridge, sneak a nuclear weapon into Israel and detonate it. And that's why they want to wipe off the, the, the state of Israel from the map. And so I think in that sense, Jason, yeah, he's not... General Soleimani didn't uh, instruct Saudis to fly, or Iranians in this case, to fly some planes into the World Trade Center. In that sense, he's not a, that type of terrorist. But he, he, his type of terrorism is different in that it's far more long. Uh, uh, it's a long uh, game. I get it's it. It's a long but game. why he's, now? He's oh, why now? Um, so because of impeachment. That's a good question. Well, I, I, I don't. I, so I don't know that I'm ready to accept that yet no no so, so here's the thing uh, let him finish jason it, here's what here's the thing all of this time uh that he's been active uh was long before impeachment long before trump or obama or even bushes we're talking about since the 50s 60s 70s this guy and his predecessors have been have been after this goal of nuking tel aviv Right. I agree and, with you. And, I think and, that you're so, exactly correct. But why yeah, did and, they and, choose to kill him now? I think I think if you if you were to press me for an answer on that, because I'm not ready to give one yet, but if you were to press press me for an answer on that, I would say the reason why now is a probably a combination of the fact that the opportunity presented himself. He rarely travels outside of uh, uh, protection the way he had in right. Iran. So he, he'll pop up occasionally in Syria and so forth, but it's not well known that he did. Well, he basically uh, was, Lebanon. from what I understood, he was running Syria. Yeah. And, and so, you know, he, he it presented himself where he was at Baghdad Airport, which is a bad mistake because that, that's, that's Obviously. one of the airports where, <laughs> yeah, that's one of the places we're monitoring. So, I mean, I would say that it, why now is, answer, is probably answered by the fact that the opportunity presented itself, but more importantly, at least where uh, it concerns Trump, is he directed an, an attack that almost breached the walls, the very, very heavily fortified walls of our embassy in Baghdad, and that brought back memories of the embassy hij- uh, the hijacking of the embassy in Tehran and the taking of our hostages in 1979. But we didn't go back and... And take out and generals after that. No, 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 we did that. We know, did we, all the retaliation he, we did. We did with acts of Congress. No, I know. Those times, in those instances, there are pictures of General Soleimani with some of those hostages. Some of those fifty-two hostages in 1979. He was there. Like I'm very see. I'm very surprised that a lot of more Americans don't know his name because he's been in almost every activity that Iran has had against the United States. And if you look at, like, there's actually, I mean, you can see the news stories about this. General, General Soleimani is posing with blindfolded American hostages in the embassy during that almost one-year-long ordeal under Carter and Reagan right. administration. So, 
This guy who was there with our hostages, then he goes and says, hey, uh, Hezbollah in Baghdad, go and attack their embassy in Baghdad. Trump saw that our embassy was being attacked like our, our Tehran embassy was attacked in 1979 and hostages were taken. And he remembered what happened in Benghazi. Uh, that's that along with the fact that the opportunity presented itself, he said, take this guy out. I don't think it has, I mean, nothing, nothing he does now, Jason is going to make a difference. The house already impeached him and the Senate's going to acquit him no matter what he does or doesn't do now. It doesn't matter. This doesn't but buy him but any, it's still, this doesn't it's buy still, him anything. There, we're so, still in an election year. Well, it's, see, that doesn't matter to me because I mean, I, I'm saying that doesn't matter to me as a reason because not, Nothing he does about the Soleimani thing would have bought him a reversal of what the House have voted for impeachment or any different outcome in Senate. So I don't understand what because it's going to be di- more difficult for the American people to reelect a president who is just uh, and we all like I said, like you just said, we already know that the House is the Senate is going to um, clear him of wrongdoing. We know that already because they're so all there's no dishonest. incentive for him to do this. What but incentive for because, him to do because this? Because the the average voter, he wants to be able to pull the average voter who's right now leaning towards impeachment. Remember, look at the polls. And again, we say what you will about polling, but there, I, I believe it's 55%, and this was a Fox News poll, 55% of Americans are in favor of impeachment and 45% are in favor of impeachment and removal. That's a Fox News poll. Okay, so the, and even the Fox News guys said, "Oh, but his his approval rating went up one point." So, it, it, so it's this is very surprising. Yeah, it's surprising, but you know what? The thing is, is he is in impeachment, and people are seeing the facts of what happened with Ukraine. And we won't get into Ukraine right now, but the point of the matter is, is that we're in an uh, election year, it's twenty twenty, and there are people who are leaning towards impeachment who could be swayed by the fact that if we get into a war, just like with Eisenhower. They don't want to switch presidents during a war because I, it's a period of turmoil. I, and you can't take a and, and you also, by the way, can't uh, have Edward Gallagher in the White House taking who is just uh, tried and found guilty of taking pictures with dead ISIS fighters who are 14 years old and being accused of war crimes and putting his troops in danger and hugging this guy at Miralago and then say, oh, but. Um, Soleimani took a picture with a hostage in 1985. That's a completely dishonest thing to for for Trump to do because one guy happens to be Caucasian and the other guy happens to be have a funny name and well, be from the Middle American. East. One's an American, and that's where Trump is concerned. With. But let me go back to your other point. I know of absolutely zero people who are on the fence when it comes to Trump and this election. Zero. But Trump and, doesn't know that. Trump thinks everyone loves him. No, no, no. I, I know. I personally know of zero people who haven't already made up their mind about who they're voting for in the 2020 election, and not one of them would be swayed by any action or lack of action Trump does in any war. But secondly, the whole impeachment thing, it was the only impeachment in the history of America that was completely done by one party. Not a single opposing party vote for this. So who's that, uh, Ameri- who's that an indictment on, though? Is that well, an indictment on the Republicans or is it an indictment on the Democrats? Because you did have one conservative who went over the aisle, Justin Amash, and what did they do? They kicked him out of the party. No, I mean, regardless of who it's an indictment on, the fact of the matter is every other impeachment was bipartisan. This one was not. So I think, I think 
you know, to say he was an impeached president, blah, blah, yeah, the Democrats took uh, some revenge out on him and it's going to fail in the Senate and whatever. I don't, I, don't, I don't see any of this activity that he's doing in, in this, this war uh, actions that he's taking to have any impact on what's already been a settled issue. Yeah, the Democrats voted for impeachment in the House and they're still refusing to send it up to the Senate. And the Senate, even when they do get it, are going to just dismiss it anyway, rightly or wrongly. So none of this is going to matter. Let, let me jump in real quick here, because um, I don't want to take this too far down the impeachment track. <laughs> we're, we're jumping down a little bit of a rabbit hole, which is fine. I mean, it's all part of the discussion. I wouldn't put it past Trump to um, create a diversion, although I would push back a little on Jason. I don't look at the polls, obviously, but anecdotally... I don't know if America necessarily wants war either, so I don't know if that would necessarily help. I don't think help. Trump actually wants war. To be I don't know if Americans you. want war, though. And I don't know. I don't know if that would necessarily help him in an election. But either way, so let's 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 go with this. We're here now. This is where we're at. We're at a point now where they have fired missiles from Iran, not not proxy, from Iran, two American bases based in Iraq. We'll see what the damage is. Um, it looks like they strategically targeted these bases that didn't have a ton of Americans, so take that for what it's worth. I've, I've read reports that there are actually closer bases that they could have hit that have much more Americans, so we'll see what that what this all means later, but we're here. They fired, bases at a, fired missiles at American bases. What's next? I mean, as Americans, you know, what, what is the next move? I don't, do you see us walking away? Do you see us escalating? No, that's why he's having a, a, a conference tomorrow. The, the problem's going to be is that, and, and this is something Paul's right about, the Democrats are so weak. Okay, first of all, there's two types of Democrats. You have your Pelosi Democrats and you have your progressive Democrats. The Pelosi Democrats are so weak that they're going to do whatever the hell Trump wants them to do. You want to know why? Because they have the same donors. Okay, that's the reason why. They're all in bed with health care and oil. But the point, that, but not to go down that rabbit hole either, but they're, they're going to get to, to, Basically, look at this, and 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 depending on how it all turns out, we don't know what the final numbers are and everything like that. Um, a lot of them could be swayed into um, an act of in, into declaring war. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked of that. The other problem is, though, that there will be some Democrats who just, no matter what, you know, your Tulsi Gabbards of the world and your Alexandria Ocasio Cortez of the world are not going to support anything Trump does. Tulsi will support him on some things, but not when it comes to war. Um, you know, and, and they will just, they don't care what the facts are 99% of the time. But what, what unfortunately is going to happen is we're going to do something else. And it's probably going to be uh, retaliatory because Trump has to win his, ha- his, the damage he inflicts has to be more. This is just the ego that he has. It is the way that it is it's the way he's wired. And, uh, he will probably do it by executive order because this guy said over and over again, I can do whatever I want. You know, uh, I, I, he quotes all of these different constitutional amendments and, and, and statutes and stuff like that that give him privilege to do whatever he wants to do. So and, and the cabinet and the 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 DOJ, you know, not the DOJ, but the, the, the Department of Defense, they're all people who are appointed by him or working directly for him under his authority. It's going to be bad. Now, I don't think we're looking at World War Three here by any stretch uh, unless Russia should decide to get involved at some point. But, you know, maybe the fact that he's so-called buddies with Putin will help. But, 
it's this is not going to be positive. I, I am not, not looking forward to what he's going to announce tomorrow because it is going to be an escalation. If it's not, I will come back and I will give him complete credit for de-escalating because I will be honest. Well, well Ken, but, my question would be, can any president at this point de-escalate? Like, if you're the president of the country and you get your bases attacked. We bombed them and killed 27 people and injured 55 more. Right, right. We've already hit. We, how many more people do you want to kill? Right, that's true. I would say, and, and sorry to interrupt here, guys. Oh, go ahead. I would, no. I, would, I would say we are doing ourselves as Americans a great disservice by considering this to be um, something that Trump is doing or that has been in Trump's court only. This has been a brewing. Um, you, you can ask why now, right, till the cows come home. But this has been brewing for a long, long time. And I think um, if it's not Trump, it's, it's going to be some future president. It's been many past presidents, I know that for a fact, that have had to deal with Iran's antics, and this particular general's antics for that matter. And I think we're doing ourselves a great disservice by saying, by, by framing this discussion around Trump. This is a um, existential, existential problem that America as a country has faced really ever since we decided to um, get involved in Middle Eastern politics and, and frankly, to create a, a Jewish homeland in the Middle East. You're, you're, exactly, you're exactly right about that. I agree with you. Um, so the I answer, think, though, is that he've made him, Trump has made it about him. You know, his tweets, the anti Benghazi he tweeted out the other day. You know, o- Obama, for all his faults, had put the Iran deal in place for a reason. He gave them their four hundred million dollars back with interest for a reason. He unfroze those assets. He didn't drop crates of cash over there. You know, it's. We did this for a reason to try to implement some sort of peace and to keep Iran from becoming a nuclear nation because I, Obama knew, along with the other world leaders at the time in 2015, that a nuclear Iran is a bad thing because Iran has said a thousand times they'll they'll sell weapons whoever the fuck they want. They've said this, yeah. right? And, and you think yeah. they wouldn't sell nuclear weapons? Of course they will. It, but they'll, they'll they'll use them first. Honestly, they'll use yes, them first. And absolutely. For the reasons like yeah, and for the reasons that we talked about earlier in this call. The the fact of the matter remains, and there's an 800-pound gorilla that none of us wants to talk about because, and certainly I don't want to, although I have alluded to it in the talk, uh, in the show, but being a Semite, maybe it's okay for me to talk about this and not be called an anti-Semite, but the fact of the matter is the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and I, I'm going to go ahead and say it, is we are doing battle, for a long time, we've been doing battle for the sake of another country and other countries, but primarily another country. We're fighting their battles for them, and their battle is against this apocalyptic, maniacal, Ayatollah-driven uh, theocracy that wants to wipe them off the face of the earth. They happen to be our allies, and we're doing battle for them. And so... <clears throat> As a, as a country, if we want to talk about Trump or Obama or Reagan and Bush, for that matter, Clinton, they're all doing the bidding of another country. They are all, uh, they are all fighting uh, and putting the lives of American youth in danger and the war 
front for the sake of another country. And I'll be the, I'll be the one to go out here and say it. Um, it's not for our sake that we're doing this. It's for the sake of Israel, and it's for the sake of others in the region, too, including Saudi Arabia and yeah, Israel. And I, mean, Saudi Arabia. I, I, I think I, I think most people that are educated in this would would agree. This I mean that that's absolutely true. Um, so, having said that, um, as long as the American public is okay with sacrificing their sons and daughters on the altar of um, money and religion. Zionism, let's say, yeah. for lack of a better term, right? The the the, the quest for a Jewish homeland or, or to maintain that Jewish presence there, um, and for the sake of Saudi Arabia and keeping the oil flowing, uh, as long as the American public is okay with sacrificing their sons and daughters on, on those two altars, um, this will continue. This has been a problem for a long, long time, and to make it about Trump or even Obama is. Is limiting limiting our scope to a very narrow time frame, where in reality this has been going on since before all those guys were born. So, uh, 1948 to be pre- precise. So uh, that, that's it is what it is, right? I mean, I hate to say it, I'm going to be called an anti-Semite for saying it. However, I am a Semite. No, what you just I said was our, not I, what you just said was not anti-Semitic. No, it's not I mean, anti-Semitic. We are we are helping. We are we yeah, we, we, we do care about Israel in the Middle East. I mean, we we I mean, do. And and when Obama went across the country, the Middle Eastern countries, and got on the right wing, they'll say, "Oh, he got down on on his knees and apologized for for America for, to the Western world." You've been talking about for this entire podcast. The, the the fact that the United States has been involved in the Middle East, and that's what Obama went in and apologized for. You didn't go in there and say, we did this great thing. You said we went in there and we set up a puppet regime. Obama went in there and apologized for all that stuff. Now, people didn't like that. They thought it was weak. I thought it was weak at the time. But the thing, of the, the point of the matter is, is that he set up the Iran nuclear deal with the goal, whether it would have been successful or not, we don't know now. All we know, and Pompeo has said that he that they were complying with it, and there was no evidence that they weren't. Trump made it about himself when he got rid of that deal, and when he went on Twitter and said, in his own words, "Under my command and at my direction, it's about me. Look what I have done." So Trump is making it about Trump, Shamasha, not me. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's. Definitely uh, uh, an ego there. Would, nobody's ever accused Trump of being uh, modest, non- not Humble. modest or non-existent. Yeah, <laughs> not very modest. So you'll never hear me. You'll never hear me kind of defend that that aspect of him. Uh, but I, I do want to say, you know, there are with this killing of Soleimani and with this action against Iran and and coming at actions against Iran, because um, you know there will be. We all know there will be. Um, there are two groups, that, primarily two groups uh, in that region that are celebrating right now. The first group that's celebrating and dancing in the street are, of course, the Israelis. The second group that is dancing and celebrating in the streets are, of course, the Sunni um, radicals, so the ISIS-type folks. Because General Soleimani in particular, he was ISIS's worst, ed- worst nightmare. Uh, he was literally Rambo to them. Um, <clears throat> so... Was his killing good? Was his killing bad? Um, to some people, it's good. To some people, it's bad. Uh, it all depends on where you fall in to the geopolitical uh, realm. 
uh, whether you're celebrating his demise or whether you're um, lamenting his demise. So America has cast its lot. Uh, Netanyahu is celebrating. Uh, this has been his wet dream for a long time. Benjamin Netanyahu and King Solomon, uh, King Solomon, uh, uh, the Saud uh, monarch right now, he's he's had this wet dream along with uh, Netanyahu for a long time too about the United States going and taking care of their number one threat. They have a, it's it's funny for Americans to think that Saudi Arabia and Israel have a common number one threat. Their common number one threat is Iran, and they couldn't take them on themselves. So we're doing the dirty work for them, and I pray that we're not. We're not going to give up too much of our um, uh, uh, youth lives for the sake of Benjamin Netanyahu and uh, King Salman. Well, uh, let, let, let me uh, jump in right uh, there too, because I've I've done a little bit of research on what it would take to beat Iran. <laughs> um, there's no doubt in my mind. We're, we're, we're Trump just said, Tony, it's going to be very very fast war. It's going to be a two. <laughs> they said this. They said, Huge. you know what? I saw this. Didn't we all see this movie? Wasn't it the one with Tony Stark? No, it was the one. For the Iraq War, and we—they said it was going to be a fast war, and guess what? It's we still had troops there up until what? Well, very, very recently. Uh, what I would say is, it we're, there's no doubt in my mind we would beat, obviously, beat Iran. They were much, much, much more far, much further militarily advanced than they are. But Iran is not Iraq, I, I, as we mentioned earlier. We're right. not going to just blow over Iran, and the people are going to be like. Contrary to what I think the, we've been putting out, the people there love what they've got going on over there. For and a lot, they most have, of those people, they have influence in a lot of other countries outside of Iran too, so, where Iraq did not. I, I think the war with Iraq just to get that government out of there would be lo- would take longer than Iran. Iran, sorry, excuse me, much much longer than Iraq. Plus, you would be removing a government that a lot of people like over there to replace with what and then you think right. putting a hole in iraq is a is has created chaos what the hell happens with iran if they don't have that government there right exactly so i i don't see i just don't know what the end game here is like i don't i don't see how this benefits us to go into iran and try to what if we go into iran and and escalate this to the point of war what is the end game to to remove that government to remove the ayatollah then what <laughs> It, you have to ask yourself. It's, it's you have to ask yourself not what is our end game, right? You have to ask yourself who, in whose best interest is it for us to go and destabilize Iran and take out all of their uh, infrastructure or their industry and 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 especially their nuclear facilities. In whose but, best but imagine what pops that? up in its place, right? Well, the, you, you know, like like Doctor Strange said, we're in the end game now, right? But it's right. The, the, the 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 idea here is, and I know Shamash is going to agree with this. You can take down a person, you can't take down ideas. Like, we yeah. can take down Trump, but the movement that's around Trump that is going to stay beyond Trump, right? Just like with the Ayatollah in Iran. He's popular, not because he's him. It's the ideas that surround him. And there will be insurgents that go up against whatever puppet regime we set up there. It's going to be a problem for decades, so I, think, do I it? think it'll be a bigger problem than Iraq, pers- personally. The 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 so I'm sure it, maybe you guys haven't um, haven't read or uh, this, but on the IT world is kind of famous. The um, I, I I just automatically assume that people know about this story, but some people, um, unless you're in IT, maybe you don't. But there, 
the most famous malware in existence, the most sophisticated virus that was ever created uh, by anybody. It was called, um, uh, oh gosh, what was that called? Uh, was it the I Love You? No, something net. I forget what it's called. Uh, st- uh, stocks, stock, Stuxnet. S-T-U-X-N-E-T. The Stuxnet uh, virus or malware was created by American and Israeli um, IT specialists in, the, in their intelligence communities. And it specifically targeted the uh, centrifuges, the, the Siemens, uh, the German company Siemens. Yeah, the, makes, the, the centrifuges, centrifuges were self-destructing. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, were self-destructing. Yeah. And this malware was so sophisticated that it even was able to penetrate into air gap networks where these computers were not connected to the internet. We call them air gap, right? And they did so by a special means of spreading from one infected uh, USB drive to another and so forth until it got to a very, very specific set of controllers that uh, for these centrifuges that Siemens had built and made them spin faster than necessary. Now, the only reason I'm, the only reason why I'm bringing up that story, and it caused it caused these these uh, disasters for the Iranian nuclear program, set them back many many years. The only reason why I bring that that topic up or that story up is this: we're at, we're saying, okay, what does it replace, or, or or like if we were to take action against Iran, what does it do? The primary uh, uh, means by which Israel and the United States have been uh, dealing with Iran up to now has been to delay. Uh, delay, delay, delay their nuclear program. Uh, it took many, many years and probably tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars for the United States and Israeli intelligence agencies to develop that uh, virus, that computer malware that spread into their centrifuges at their nuclear plants. They spent all that time and all that money, probably a decade of writing that malware, just to set back Iran's nuclear power program by four or five years, maybe maybe if we're lucky a decade. That's been uh, that's been the goal uh, so far. And so when people say, "Well, what are we what are we going to gain? What what's going to take place?" The the objective of everything in our dealings with Iran and in Israel's Israel's dealings with Iran, Saudi Arabia's dealings with Iran, is to delay, delay, delay. And in the meantime, Israel is getting stronger. Saudi Arabia is getting stronger. Um, they're, they're, they're playing a long-term game. All of these proxy wars, uh, this, the Shiite crescent didn't come up overnight. It's been decades in the making. General Soleimani was instrumental in creating this over the decades. Uh, Israel is, is in the same way, and Saudi Arabia in the same way. Everything they're doing is with this long-term vision of containing them and delaying them. Uh, even Obama's uh, uh, agreement with them on the nuclear agreement wasn't ever meant to uh, uh, completely eliminate their nuclear uh, capabilities, but it was to delay it because yeah, by fifteen years. You, yeah, as you can see right now, because of this, they're using this as okay. We're we're uh, not abiding by the agreement anymore, of, even with other countries. Well, that proves that you didn't eliminate their program. Obama's thing didn't eliminate their program. It just for as long as they cho- chose to abide by it. It just delayed the inevitable. The inevitable is this, and I hate to be apocalyptic about this since we were talking about being apocalyptic. 
the inevitable is this. We didn't stop North Korea, no matter how much we starved them, they ate grass, right? There was, there was these famous stories about the North Koreans eating grass and using all their money that they would have eaten otherwise or preventing starvation otherwise, using all their money to build up their nuclear program. When a nation can see that its only option to survival, its only option of survival is to develop nuclear weapons, uh, they're going to develop nuclear weapons even if they starve half their people, even if they starve 90% of the people. Look, Iran, at, Nazi, look Iran, at Nazi Germany, for an example. Yeah, you know, non-nuclear, yeah. but the same idea. Well, all their nuclear scientists came here and helped us develop the Manhattan Project. They were they were only a couple of years away from going nuclear, the Nazis. Thankfully, we, we got their scientists before they can complete their work. But anyway, Iran is going nuclear. The bottom line is they are going nuclear, and it's only a matter of time. No matter how much we delay it, no matter how much Obama tried to, delay it and i'll never fault him for that that was one good thing that he did do uh well, not one good thing but one of many things that good things that he did iran is eventually going to become nuclear we have to live with this fact they are going to be nuclear the question is are they going to be nuclear with the ability to deliver a warhead to tel aviv if that's the case then it's not going to be limited to that theater of, of action if if iran nukes if iran nukes anybody Saudi Arabia or Israel, it's world war and it's all going nuclear and civilization as we know it is gone. So, I mean, we're talking about that big of a thing. And I think, I don't know, I, I just don't want to do us all a disservice as Americans by talking about a, a presidents come and go and this problem remains. Right. It's been, it's been there since 1948. So we're coming across almost a hundred years, right. Of this problem. So, um, where, where do we go from here? Uh, well, here, let me jump in because I'm reading yeah. more reports um, just to keep you guys updated. So, I'm reading two different reports from two different sites, CNN and Fox, um, that right now, as of now, no casualties at either base. Um, I have read that both of these bases were um, a little further away than one of the main air bases that the U.S. has. So what it seems like to me, and I don't know if this changes your opinion on what the U.S. reaction will be, is that Iran found two bases that they knew wouldn't be all that populated, but they could both they could puff their chest and be like, look what we did. We attacked these two bases, and we, we retaliated. We did what we said we were going to do. But they can also point to, look, there was no casualties. So hopefully the U.S., takes a look at this and goes, you know what? This is it. This is the end of end of escalation. You you knew that you attacked two bases that didn't have too many people on them. Let's just let's just drop the let's just drop it right here. Does that change anything for you guys or you guys no, both it, still think we're going to we're going to escalate? Would, but the thing is, look look how we reacted to the drone being shot down. We acted like there was a bunch of babies on it. You know, it was a freaking robot that was flying over their airspace. Imagine if Iran flew a drone over our airspace. You think we wouldn't shoot it down? Of course I mean, we would shoot it down. Yeah, you know, so it's like, I don't know, and, and I'll shut up here, but the, I don't know. I doubt with the man in charge that we have. I have, if I had to place a bet that me, uh, of an amount of money that meant something to me, I would place a bet that he would escalate just based on what he did with the drone. I hope and pray I am wrong. I hope and pray I'm wrong. I, 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 
two points to your question, Tony. Yep. The base that is closer to them that they didn't chose not to strike that is a lot more populated with American soldiers than these other two. From what I'm reading, that's like the main one of the main bases, yeah. the hub. Yeah. Yeah, that one is in Shiite territory in southern Iraq, so they're not going to attack that. Okay. Fair uh, enough. The other two, the two that they decided to attack, are um, strategic in this. That's sense, a good I'll, point, I'll by the way. I'm glad you brought. Very good point. Thank you yeah. for bringing that up. Oh no worries. Yeah, uh, the the two that they did strike um, were strategic in this sense and symbolic in this sense, in that one is in a Sunni controlled area, and the other one's in the Kurd, right? In, yeah, area. the other yep. one's in the Kurd area. Yeah. So that that being said, the second point I wanted to bring up is, uh, it, what's Trump going to do? The let me just start off by saying, if there was even a single American casualty or injury, not even the death, just an American was involved uh, in being injured or killed, and they had no way of knowing that um, their rockets were not going to kill or injure one of ours. But had one died, a soldier died, Trump would have gone uh, apocalyptic on them. By the morning, it would be a different world that we would wake up to. I would think within 12 to 24 hours, their military capability, Iran's military capability would be um, vastly diminished. The, like, like, the likes of which like shock and awe would have been small compared to this, right? Mm. Which is shock and awe. So if an American had been killed, it appears that an American has not been killed or injured. That, I think, will lessen his reaction, but he's still going to have a reaction. He has to have a reaction. There's no way... Even if it wasn't Trump and it was somebody less egotistical than Trump, you would still have an American reaction to this because right. we killed their number two in charge because he storm he tried to have his um, goons storm our embassy in Iraq. How much more so are we going to do about these rockets attacking uh, bases that we're stationed in? Being so, fired from the country itself, being not fired proxy. From the country, yeah. Yeah. So there's no doubt there will be a reaction, but I think it's going to be less severe than had an American died in this attack tonight. We'll, we'll see. I, I want to close with some final thoughts from you guys. Um, just more or less, what are your final thoughts on everything that's been happening so far? And, you know, where do you think it goes? And then specifically for you, Paul, I know we, we've been talking about how this affects America, but um, what is your reaction on how this affects your, your people in the, in the Middle East? So um, I'll let either one of you start, whoever wants to talk first. Go ahead. Sure, I can. I, I, thanks, thanks, Jason. Um, yeah, one of the things I didn't discuss tonight that you guys have heard me bring up frequently is I'm anti-war, especially anti-Middle Eastern war, and for yep. selfish reasons. Because that, That's part of the reason why I asked you in the, when, <laughs> I, when I texted you in the first place. I was like, yeah. this is exactly what you didn't want, right? Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what I didn't want. The um, And why you voted for, a big part of why you voted for Trump, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, just a little bit of, a tidbit of information here. There's a sizable Assyrian Christian community in the northwest of Iran, close to the border of Iraq. It's been there for thousands of years. Um, they're very vulnerable. They're always, you know, as again, us minorities, especially the Christians, were viewed already with suspicion in Islamic countries, whether they be Shiite or Sunni. Um, we're viewed with suspicion, and we're all uh, often viewed as a fifth column that uh, uh, sympathizes with the Crusader West. So every time America attacks some country, the uh, minorities feel the brunt of uh, persecution 
because that's we're the nearest ones that they can lash out against. So I, I hate all of this. I hate that it has to come down to this. Uh, my feelings are split as an American. My feelings are uh, loyal to the country. And if there is a, a, a threat against American interests, which General Soleimani clearly was for the past four or five decades, uh, as an American, I'm uh, applauding taking out uh, somebody like him. But as an Assyrian, uh, I fear for the repercussions to my people there. And uh, I don't want uh, continued wars like this. It's, it is one of the reasons why I elected Trump. I don't know if his hand was forced here. I don't know uh, that I'm ready to declare it a wagging the dog tail like uh, Jason is quick to do here. <laughs> but um, I don't blame Jason for that. I, I can see, you know, almost every war that any president gets into, uh, the opposition always says, hey, it's a wag the dog because of this or that economy or That's true. impeachment or whatever. Almost every president's been... Or in the case of Bill Clinton, it was because of the the antics he had in the White House with an intern. Yeah, he and did the same thing. The and, and, and yeah, it's fair to point thing. that out. He, he, yeah. he launched strikes during the Lewinsky trial. Yeah, and and you know, do they do they launch these strikes because of that, or do our enemies see a weakness that they can attack an American embassy because the president has been impeached? Oh, now's the time we can go and do our thing, and it forces their hand to do something, even though it's going to look like. Wag the dog. So I don't know. Is it? I don't know if Bill Clinton was wagging the dog. I don't know if Trump is wagging the dog. But I know this guy has been trouble for America for a long, long time, and he's got a lot of American blood on his hands, even if indirectly. And so that's why I say I'm as an American, I'm for Trump's actions. But as an Assyrian, I'm weary of what it means for the vulnerable minority populations in those countries who are already suffering disproportionately. Uh, everybody in those countries is suffering, but the minorities are suffered disproportionately. Uh, they have nobody to protect them, and so that's why I'm I'm torn about this tonight. And that's that's all I'm, that's all I got. Jason, I know yeah, I know so, you, I know you have thoughts. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'll try to be brief here. The um, there's only an hour. Um, <laughs> you got an hour and a half. Go ahead, go. So. I, I agree with everything that, that Shmash Paul said, um, for the most part. I, I, I think it's clear wagging of the dog, just like Clinton. I think I, I think Clinton clearly wagged the dog as well. I think Bush did. Uh, Obama, you can probably make a couple cases for it. Um, no U.S. president has been the uh, idea of Jesus Christ, right? So, um, but here's the thing. I, I'm going to turn this a little bit to comic books, right? I'm going to draw you an analogy because it's always the people that, that get affected. And again, like I said, in Yemen, look at what's going on in Yemen there. It's the people are suffering. Um, yes, we took out this general and yes, he was probably a real piece of work. Like Saddam Hussein, terrible guy. Um, but look what's happened in his stead. So to, to, to pull in the comic book analogy, go back to Avengers Age of Ultron, right? Not a lot of good in that movie. But uh, the um, Roman, not Romanoff, uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, what's their actual name? Uh, they are, jeez. Something. something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Quicksilver so and Scarlet Witch, yes. Let's think of their backstory, right? When Ultron found out what their pain was. Their parents were killed. And they looked. 
for three days they sit under a bed because the Stark Industries bomb didn't go off. And they had that image etched into their brain. Um, this is, this is a, an example of art imitating life, as so often happens. You know, what did they do? They turned to the dark side, more or less, right? Um, and then they ultimately both turned back because they saw the destruction that they were, that they were causing. Not everybody has that Kylo Ren moment, right? Where they, they do these things and because they, they get this ideology put in their head that, you know, my parents were killed by Tony Stark. There's going to be a generation of people that grow up and have grown up for the last 50 years, 60 years since World War II. What, 70 years now? Jeez. Um, that are, um, and, and Paul's posting something here, but that, that, that grew up under the thumb of American uh, presence and influence in other countries that oftentimes is violent and oftentimes does not care too much about the collateral damages. You know, you can be, I love my kids, but I can be critical of them. If I yell at my daughter, it doesn't mean I don't love her. When I'm critical of America, it doesn't mean I don't love her. She can be better. And the onus right now is on President Trump to do what is best for the American people and actually be the person that I think he is when it comes to war. I don't believe that Trump is a war-mongering president. I think Bolton was, and, and he's gone now. I think Trump is a lot of bad things, but a warmonger, I hope not. Um, and this is, this is going to be a, a, a difficult situation. Um, it could be another situation where we could be there for a decade. So uh, I guess something's go ahead and there's some n- more fucking new news. So uh, we go to our live reporter <laughs> on the scene, uh, Tony the, jo- the Jock. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't. I don't mean to laugh. I'm laughing at the at the fact that he's calling me a reporter. Not sure if this is related, but a um, a Boeing 737 plane in Tehran um, crashed shortly after takeoff, according to. Iran semi-official news. It was a Ukrainian Airlines plane. Um, Iran is reporting that it crashed due to technical difficulties. So this just happened. They had the server from Ukraine. They're bringing it to Iran. And this is actually, Paul pointed this out first, so I won't take credit for that. No, no, I'm I'm concerned because um, maybe uh, people are saying things to de-escalate. I I find it hard to believe that just out of Coincidence. coincidence, tonight out of all nights, Right. A Ukrainian plane carrying 180 civilian passengers uh, just happens to crash in Tehran Airport. Um, I don't know if it was U.S. missiles or Iranian missiles that thought maybe it was a U.S. warplane, but I would not be surprised if um, something like that, like they thought they were shooting down a, a, an American plane or drone or something, uh, comes out. Um, this Ukraine is highly is unlikely be, to be uh, mechanical yeah. problems. I, yeah, yeah I, see, I see I, hopefully it's a coincidence, but better logic says probably not, right? Boeing 737, yeah, is that what it bit, was? Uh, it, yeah, Ukrainian civilian jet. So, did, you say it was, um, did you say it was a Boeing 737? Correct. Okay, yeah. that plane has the best safety record of any plane ever built. 
There you go. Yeah, I think That's Ukraine why Southwest is going to be. Yeah, I think the Ukraine is going to be checking this out very closely. Uh, um, I think it was some shoulder-fired rocket by some crazy, um, some crazy Shiite uh, militia there. Anyway, hopefully not. Uh, hopefully everybody's safe, but maybe the crash was only small. But I don't know yet. Yeah, we'll see. It doesn't say. It doesn't mention any casualties yet. So we'll we'll see. Well, guys. Um, we we basically squeezed in two podcasts into one, and we could have had one podcast just with. And we're not even and, done. We've got another hour, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> We've actually we're actually hosting a telethon now, so please call in. Um, we we could have just done a whole podcast on Paul and Jason's uh, retelling of Middle Eastern history and all the politics around that, and we could have done a whole podcast with just them two debating everything around uh, this whole uh, mess in the Middle East. So, uh, thanks, guys, for coming on and. Hopefully this was enjoyable for anyone that was listening. Make Iraq Syria again, and it'll there, be all, all the problems will be solved. There you go. Yeah, and I and I will say, I'll Paul. I know you'll be praying for you know what's going on here, and um, you know, yeah, we'll all we all probably should. So definitely, yeah, God bless our soldiers. Going to keep everybody safe, and hopefully cooler heads prevail in the next few days. Hopefully, Amen. yes. Amen. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Aisla. And together we are the hosts of the Bicurian Podcast. Bicurian is our answer to the polarizing culture we live in. Tired of feeling under siege and looking for ways to get involved? Then come be a part of a different way of thinking. Everything from politics to geek culture to current events that polarize us as a society. We explore multiple ways of looking at things. Please check us out at Bicurian.com and follow us on your favorite social media platform of choice. Forgive the interruption, but I believe this requires your attention. If you ever believed Captain America was on the U.S. Olympic soccer team. If you ever thought that the Winter Soldier was that brace yourselves guy on the internet. And if you ever wondered just what would a raccoon do with a machine gun. Then don't let another week pass you by without tuning into Mighty Marvel Geeks. Mighty Marvel Geeks is your show about all things Marvel. With news, rumors, commentary, and interviews. As well as our weekly recommendations on what to pick up on New Comic Book Day. Official consulting hours are between 8 and 5 every other Thursday. That's Mighty Marvel Geeks on WeebyGeeks.net, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts.